on Denver Sports Tonight. Taking a look at the biggest stories in Denver sports. From your online home for the best opinions and information on the Broncos, Nuggets, Avalanche, Rockies, and more. DenverSports.com. And it is Denver Sports Tonight on this Monday night in the Mile High City. He's Andrew Mason. I'm Will Peterson. We will be with you for the next hour reacting to Game 2. Broncos lose at the buzzer again to the Niners. Not too concerned about the loss. More concerned with a couple things I want to dive into from that game. Mace, fresh back from Santa Clara. How was it to be back in the uh, the house that Vaughn uh, christened, if you will, back in Super Bowl 50. Yeah, like I tweeted out on Saturday, it's a place that's got a suitcase of memories for me and everyone who was there um, for the around the Broncos in Super Bowl 50 and experienced that. Um, it was you go in like, and the thing is, you you stare down the field, and your mind immediately goes to you know Vaughn, you know you get he goes to the strip sack of Cam Newton, the ball bouncing in and. Uh, Malik Jackson coming up with it in the end zone, putting the Broncos in front to stay. Yeah. As it turned out, you think about uh, things like Jordan Norwood's punt return. You think about um, the the final the final sack that set up the game winning touchdown. Peyton Manning's last pass there to uh, Benny Fowler. To Benny That's Fowler in the north question. end zone. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's. It's, it, I'm sure a lot of Bron- and I'm sure everyone who was on the Broncos for Super Bowl 32 thought had the same kind of memories of uh, of the old, of old Qualcomm Stadium, Jack Murphy Stadium, right? Yeah, because but not standing anymore, right? Not there anymore. But the one, one they won in 33 in Miami is that still standing? That's still there. It okay. is now a Hard Rock Stadium. That is still there, of course. Okay. Um, I, didn't, I didn't know if that was a new one or not because yeah. I had just had that moment of oh wait, were the other two already torn down? Well, so, what's yeah. interesting about that is the Broncos will honor the Super Bowl 33 team. That one at that stadium, uh, they're going to honor them in week two. And then in week three, they're going to go down to Miami mm. and play the, the Dolphins. In that same stadium. That, although the thing is, because I wasn't around for Super Bowl 33, my memory of the Broncos in that stadium, Tim Tebow comeback. Ah, that was the start of Tebow mania. Uh-huh. Yep. Because yep. coming off the bye, he started the game, did precisely bupkas for three and a half quarters. Yep. And then last last seven and a half minutes, magic. Man, because they tied that thing, right? It went to overtime. It didn't Prater walk it off in OT? Uh, yes. That's what I thought. One of his many 50 yarders. Oh, good memories. TiVo time, baby. You're right. Uh, what a wild, strange year 2011 was for the Denver Broncos. Unlike any other. But, yeah. Um, yeah, so it's, it's always cool to go back there and, and experience it and um, – I get the feeling you weren't as pleased with this preseason game as I was. Well, there's a couple things, so let's let's dive into it. First of all, this is where you and I totally disagree. And I thought playing Russell Wilson one series was a big mistake. I thought he was just starting to look like Seattle Russ. He was just starting to cook, and you he was going to find the end zone, Mace. And I think finding the end zone against the Niners would have been a nice little confidence boost in what is likely his last preseason action. And for Sean Payton to say the starters are going to play 20 to 24 plays, and last time I checked, Russell Wilson's a starter, to only play him 13 plays when he's out there running around and the lean and mean version of him looks great. Uh, He finished 3 of 6 passing, but Javante did have a drop. Mace, he just had his best week of training camp. Why not give him another drive, especially when... 
Corlin Sutton and Jerry Judy and Javante Williams all went back out there with Jared Stidham. With all due respect to Jared Stidham, Mace, if he has to play with the ones this year, they're cooked. It's Russ or bust. Jared Stidham has not shown nearly enough that he's going to be any sort of a, a competent backup quarterback for the Broncos. I thought it was a big mistake by Sean Payton to pull Russell Wilson after one series. Okay, I get why that's the popular narrative on Jared Stidham, that if he has to go out there, it's all over. But you know who doesn't believe that? Sean Payton. I think if you got a couple lattes and Sean deep down, he knows it's rust or bust. But that is Maybe. my opinion. Okay, but I'm. He's. I not, mean, you really think this ship can stay afloat with Jarrett Stidham, Mace? Enough, enough defense and special teams. There's. It's a very narrow path, and also the running game. You got to run. You're gonna have to run the ball. You'll be even more run intensive with Jarrett Stidham. It's a narrow path. Is it possible? Yeah, but you know, I, I don't think Sean Payton is going to sit there and say, you know, and, and say we're cooked. You know, and, and the other thing is, I'm thinking about it, and I. I loved it last year when Buffalo was playing Denver in the preseason, mm-hmm. that beatdown, and the starters, by and large, were still in, and Case Keenum came in to, ran the off- to run the offense. I thought, that's a great idea. You don't want his first crack running it in the regular season, to be in the regular season. Get him work out there with those guys. The other thing also, I think that informs the uh, Sean Payton decision is, you got two practices with the Rams coming up. You got two joint practices here. So that's not the end of Russell Wilson getting work that is basically preseason game speed type work. Mm, He's but, gotten, but I don't think he takes another preseason snap this year. I don't think he'll play this year. And I, I thought it was an odd time to pull the plug on it. It sounds like you were a fan of it, though, for a couple reasons that you yeah. outlined. And I can respect that, but I just we're not going to find common ground on this one. This is agree to disagree territory. Yeah, I thought, I Sean, so. I thought Sean Payton made a big mistake pull, pulling Russ that early. I think another drive, they were going to score six, and I think that would have been a good taste in their mouths to end their preseason play. I mean, now, Mace, we're looking at it. He scored one touchdown. One touchdown the entire preseason from Russ, and it was on fourth down against the Cardinals' third stringers. Is that enough? I mean, I'm more concerned about the process than the outcome in the preseason. I think the process was much better than it was against the Cardinals. And I think we saw some things even in the week leading up to it in practice that showed the process is getting better. So, right. So let's keep that process going and end it on an exclamation point, well, dancing in the end zone. You've got two opportunities here against the Rams to make sure that process stays on the straight and narrow. Here's Sean Payton uh, after the game on why Russ's snaps were limited. Yeah, it's part of the plan going in. It was part of the plan going in is to play him 15 or so and then get set him some work with the first group before we made the overall change and then keep Jared in there. Whoa, who is that who said, what's that? I don't remember who said that. I mean, listen to this guy. Yeah, it's part of the plan going in. It was part of the plan it was part of the plan. Sean Payton did not want to, to was explain not, himself twice. Sean Payton was not having any garbage in that press conference. Between that and uh, he was asked about Jaleel McLaughlin and basically saying, yeah, it wasn't a surprise. You know, if you've been paying, he all, I think he used something along the lines of if you've been paying attention <laughs> or something like that. And I just, when I heard, it was one of those things hey, here, where. Here it is. Yeah. You want to hear it real quick? Go Let's for it. it. Yeah. Well, we've kind of been seeing it. If you've been paying attention to yep. practice, and so we got a chance to see it, I wouldn't say anyone's surprised. Yeah, yeah. when if, he drops if you've been that, paying attention. Yeah, when he drops that on the uh, on the Inquisitor, if you've been paying attention, that's that, that's a shot. So why was Sean Payton surly then? Just because they lost again? You think? 
Uh, ra- I know I wasn't little, happy with the refs. I, I thought he was actually in a better mood than he was the previous uh, game against Arizona. I think that game he was really he, he was profoundly upset about how it finished. He seemed to not be at that same spot. But yeah, there was a little bit of snippiness there, no doubt. But uh, but I think it's more also. I think it has less to do with the game with the game, the game than more uh, of Sean Payton tends to have for a uh, doesn't suffer fools ill on to him. Mm, okay, okay, all right. So my biggest takeaway was obviously the the Russ one series thing, and we we again are going to agree to disagree on that. I think it was a mistake. What was your biggest takeaway? If we're just going big picture here uh, from preseason game number two, I like the offense getting up to speed earlier. I talked about that before the game. I wanted to see the offense find its groove before it did against the Cardinals, and there we see it on the first drive, getting some momentum going. Um, pass protection was better, but it's still a concern. Um, the O-line did yeah. have a better night overall. It did. Yes. It, 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 it did by and large. So, there, look, and there were some plays. I know you can ISO, you can ISO some, uh, you know, Ben Powers getting beat uh, for a pressure, that sort of thing. But I thought in the bigger picture – the old, the protection was better. Very encouraged by the running game. I mean, all the way through. Javante Williams, you know, he doesn't look all the way there, but he's on his way. They made it a point to get him involved early and often. I liked throwing to him right after the drop, too. Yeah, so kind of like Judy last week. Yes. Don't waste any time. You're going to need Javante to catch the football. In this offense, Javante is going to be of heavy use as a receiver. Mm-hmm. So get him back going. And the thing is with Javante Williams, as prolific as he is and as talented as he is, he does have a history of drops going back to North Carolina. Mm. I mean, there are a couple of really big drops I can remember from him, unfortunately, was when he was with the Tar Heels. He's, a very, he's very effective with the ball in space, but the drop rate is still higher than you'd like. So... Getting his confidence back after that drop on his on the first touch, I thought was a tremendous idea on the Broncos' part. Yeah, I think all in all, a, a hugely successful return for Javante Williams. Uh, I thought Samaje Pirine had moments as well, but Mace, I mean, the star of the night was probably once again Jaleel McLaughlin. And uh, did you see what our guy James Merrillat wrote at DenverSports.com? Today? I did. Yeah, for those who missed it, uh, James Merrillat thinks that Jaleel McLaughlin's got some Terrell Davis in him. And he should be named the starter. Now, I'm not willing to make that big a leap yet, Mace. I'll be curious to hear your thoughts on that. But at the same time, (laughs) Jaleel McLaughlin has made the 53. He is is on the football team. He has to have made the 53, and he has to get a jersey. Um, At the very minimum right now, he is the change of pace. He should be the change of pace. And and just for people tuning in, get a jersey means don't make him inactive. Right. That means basically your top, you know, 46 or so. So, um... The thing about those touchdowns that he had, one on a reception, one on a run. Like the run, there's good blocking up front, but he's got to make one guy miss. Right. And he makes him miss. On the touchdown catch, he's headed toward the sideline. He's running out of space, and he kind of just stops, and the defenders just kind of whiz by him, stops on a dime, then turns up and gets a touchdown. The point being... Sometimes when you see a big running play or a big play by the running back, it's, oh, huge hole. Anybody could have run through that. Oh, um, you've got blockers downfield. All you have to do is follow the blocks. 
there's a lot of Jaleel McLaughlin and his individual brilliance in those two touchdowns that he yeah. had. Yeah. And that's where you're like, okay, this dude's got something special to him. This is this isn't just everyone's doing their job up front and he's following the blocks. This is he's making a good chunk of this happen himself. What what, what do you think of Merrillat sort of um I won't call it wacky because that feels disrespectful. I think he's trying to plant the flag, you know, uh, in terms of if he becomes a starter. And then if he becomes Terrell Davis, yeah. James can say he called it when he Yes, did. exactly. Yeah. That this is uh, that, that's what I read that I sort of thought, oh, this is this is James kind of trying to to, to stake out his territory right now, right? Yeah, and, and listen. And then and then a year from now he can if it work if Jill, Jill McLaughlin has become RB1, he can be like, you know, See? See? Yeah, it's a little off the wall, but I, I do think what we are recognizing, you mentioned it, particularly on that second touchdown. I mean, that was just an unbelievable move at the goal line, making the defenders look silly, that it's not too early to say, especially because running backs can be good right away, that we could be looking at someone who, uh, star feels like a strong word, but a, a guy who could have a very, very nice NFL career. He has some special abilities. Cecil Lammy and I have been talking about him since... Uh, OTAs, of course, when we were talking about him in OTAs, we had to use the code of uh, uh, that we couldn't say too much, so we'd reference like a player who wore the same number. So we jokingly say, "Well, Mike Anderson a good had a good practice out there." Right, right, right. Um, Didn't want to get in trouble. Yeah, but it's it's been evident basically since he walked in the door that there's something that there there's something to him. Um, well, an all-time leading yeah. rusher in the NCAA history? Yeah, the only thing that concerns you about that is, does that affect how much tread is left on his tires? And I would argue that that workload resulting in that output is part of the reason why he went undrafted. I was going to say, how does the all-time leader rusher in NCAA history, how do 32 GMs pass on him seven times each? That does not make a lot of sense to me. And credit to George Payton and his scouting department for getting him in here as a UDFA because it feels like the Broncos could have gotten a steal. But, man, there's, what, 260 picks in the NFL draft, and no one thought this kid was worthy of one? That is a whiff around the entire league. Well, do you remember um, a guy that the Broncos had in uh, briefly um, for one of their preseasons over the years, Xavier Oman? He was an incredibly productive Division two running back, he didn't go until the sixth round. Okay, but at least he got drafted. Jaleel McLaughlin being undrafted after what I've seen well, si- in camp in the first two weeks is criminal. I think size had something to do with that. I think some thought he was too small because Oman is, was 5'11", 226, and uh, McLaughlin's a little bit shorter. He's about 181 pounds. So, But I heard the I, same stuff about Philip Lindsay, and oh, then he I went know. out and had back-to-back 1,000-yard season. Right, and Philip Lindsay went undrafted. So... Sometimes, sometimes the dudes just got it. I mean, with Lindsey, I say I'll say one thing that I noticed uh, when he was down at Shrine Bowl practices in 2018. Philip Lindsey, despite his size, he was the most fearless running back there, just bl- you know, blasting into the box. Yeah, and that was the thing that I took away from watching him that week. Is like compared to the other running backs who seemed to be kind of trying to set things up and be a little bit timid, Lindsay attacked. And McLaughlin has that same uh, attack to him as well. Now, I would argue McLaughlin, probably a better pass catcher than Philip Lindsay was. Mm. That's And so that, that's something in his favor. Okay. But, yeah. 
He's got to be on the fifty-three. Yeah, I, I think he at would this be point, I think crazy. he. I think at this point, I think he's just put too much out there not to be on the fifty-three. Yeah, even Drew and I were talking. You know, he said, "Oh, we'll see who plays this weekend." You know, might see a little more Jaleel McLaughlin. And I said to Drew, "Nope, I would treat Jaleel McLaughlin like a starter this weekend against mm-hmm. the Rams. I would not even." Risk it with him because I think he does not need to show one iota more to make this team. He has made the football team. Wow. I, I think they'll play him, though. Probably, but I don't think they need to. I think you could get away with playing Tony Jones Jr. Uh, a bunch this weekend because, you know, unfortunately for him, he's going to look like the odd man out because Jaleel came and took his job. Uh-huh. Let's talk about the QBs, though, because Russ obviously goes 3 of 6 for the 24 yards. The three rushes for the 25 yards, including another one that got called back because of holding on Cortland Sutton. What did you make of, you know, this 15-pound Russ? We finally got the number last week actually looking like, oh, man, he is a much better quarterback without those 15 pounds. I was very encouraged by the mobility, Mace. I was encouraged by it, but I was all, not just the mobility and the uh, the loss of the 15 pounds. The other thing about which I was encouraged was how quickly he made that decision to take off and run. Like, last year, the way that offense was structured, going through the progressions took so much time mm-hmm. that by the time he might make the decision to run, it was too late, and the pocket had collapsed, and he found himself trapped. His butt was on the ground. Right. And then the 15 pounds... There were times, I recall, at least one sack in Carolina where you can see, oh, he's trying to get away, and maybe at another point in his career he could have gotten away, but he didn't. So I liked all of that for Russell Wilson, both uh, the spry nature that he showed when he got when he got there, but also how quickly he made that commitment to run, that he got through the progressions, and that this offense is structured to go where, play, where the play is... a gets him beyond structure earlier mm-hmm. than it did last year, which is when things are still open for him to run and take off and do things with his legs. Yeah, That, I, that was really encouraging and kind of reveals that Sean Payton's got this thing going in the right direction long-term schematically. I, I think it was maybe the best he's looked in a Broncos uniform, and I know it was one drive, and I know he did have some good games toward the end of last year, the, you know, the Chiefs game. But let's not forget, the Chargers game until he hit Jerry Judy he hadn't done absolutely nothing for an entire half. So I'd say that Chiefs game. That, that's the one in Arrowhead. In Arrowhead. Yeah. When he had a touchdown run in the red zone, right? And he was more mobile at that point in the year because he was skinnier. He had gotten in better shape as the season had gone on. Yeah, like the, the thing about that Chiefs game, obviously that was after Jerry Rossberg commanded Justin Allen to say, this has got to start looking like, what worked for Russ in Seattle. Right. And lo and behold, he looked like himself again. Yeah. And if not for a really bad call against Cortland Sutton, I think we would have been talking about the Broncos pulling off the shocker of the year that day. Yeah. No, I'm and with Russ you. That, was that, good, Russ was good enough to win that game that, that day. That offensive P.I. was absolutely pitiful. And mm-hmm. as the Jer Bear made it clear when he talked to Mike Kliss a couple of weeks ago, you know, that was the week he kicked Russell Wilson out of his office. That was the week he told his personal coaches to not sh- show up because everyone wants to give Sean Payton all the credit for that. And Jer Bear had to chime in and say, no, 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 no. I did those things. Jerry kind of went in as bad cop on some people. Yeah. He, he, he fired. Did, he, uh, he did some dirty work. He fired Dwayne Stooks and Butch Berry. And Butch Berry he said, "You two ain't coaching the last two games. Yeah. I'm gonna fire your butts." So yeah, no, we will. Always, I will always have a little soft spot in my heart for the Jer Bear. We, by the way, last week D Mac and I were reflecting on Jerry Rossbrook's first press conference. Oh my gosh, 
eight, like the seventeen minute opening a statement, two thousand and ninety word opening statement before he asked for questions. That was unreal, man. Oh my gosh! I hope Jerry's having a cocktail, selling a hyperbaric chamber somewhere, oh. living his best I, life on his dock. I will say, if they had ultimately decided to bring him back, that would have been wild. <laughs> Wild man, wild, wild year. <laughs> uh, all right, so we were both pleased with Russ. Obviously, he looked very good. I wish he had played more. You thought he played enough. Any thoughts on Stidham and Danucci? And is there a chance, Mace? I just have to ask it. It's not like Danucci played great, but is there a chance that Ben Danucci is somehow the backup quarterback on this team? I don't think so. No, I think they've cast their lot with Stidham as the number two, and it was a better game for Stidham. Um, I mean, narrowly avoided disaster once. Mm. Um, you'd like to see him be a bit quicker at times, but he was actually pretty effective for the most part. Um, I thought looked, even though the Broncos ran out of time there at the end, I thought looked really good in the two minute. Yeah. It's just unfortunate. I mean that, you know, Jalen Virgil couldn't get one more yard and it's even more unfortunate that Jalen Virgil got hurt Mm -hmm. on that play and, uh, you know, tore up his meniscus. We're hearing different reports on how long he's going to be out, but he is going to get surgery. Um, so it depends that, what surgery, right? I mean, if you're if it, there's two types of surgeries, one involves actually repairing the entire meniscus. That's four to six months. That basically so that's is, the season, mostly. Mostly, I mean, maybe you get lucky and he's back the final three weeks of the regular season, and then the other is just cleaning out kind of the the the, the, the you know the, the torn tissue, the dead tissue, as it were. And that's a four- to six-week process. Okay. That would be a lot more encouraging. Now, the interesting thing there could be, and I was talking about this on Orange and Blue today with Cecil Lammy earlier this afternoon, 3.30 p.m. Mountain Time on the Denver Sports Digital Channels. Um, With Jalen Virgil, if he has the four- to six-week recovery timetable, you can say, all right, we're going to keep him on the roster for a day. And then put him on IR so you can recall him during the season. And we may be looking at a situation kind of like we saw with Mike Purcell last year where you're cutting somebody with the intention of bringing that player back a day later. Okay. So it's something to keep an eye on. You're telling folks. Keep an an eye on maybe some procedural type of moves so you can have a player go to recallable IR and have him back during the season. Whereas if you put... Jalen Virgil on IR before the cutdown, his season's over. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. That's good to know. And and I the the good injury update on Virgil there. And and I think what I wanted to point out too, Mace, is I'm I'm a little down on Jared Stidham, but you make a good point there. If if they get one more yard there from Virgil, we're all sitting here talking about, hey, Jared Stidham had a really good night. You we're know? not talking about the Broncos losing the game at the end either. No, we're not talking about the game. So I do have yeah. to be fair there of like. I'm just not wowed by Stidham, but you're right. That that play goes differently. We all feel different about how Jared Stidham's night went. Mm-hmm. Now, I do wonder if this game is going to be one half for Stidham, one half for Danucci on Saturday. I, I would expect that. Would that would make the most sense. I mean, I, I really don't think Russell Wilson's going to play against the Rams. I just don't. And Jake, Jake told me last week on Friday that he really thinks they're going to play a lot against the Rams. And I said, no, 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 no. I think that's going to be the joint practices There's, is going to be the quote-unquote a lot. And then he'll have a clipboard and a baseball hat on uh, on Saturday night. If I were trying to read the Magic 8 ball, I would expect not to see much of the starters on Saturday. 
I would agree with that. You, you get two two days of joint practices. That's going to be a lot of work, and it's a shame that those practices aren't open aren't open to the fans. You know, yeah, because they got to go to the Cowboys practice last year, and it was electric for that practice. Yes. Because a lot of Cowboys fans showed mm-hmm. up. Yes. You wouldn't have as many Rams fans, but still, I mean, g- being able to watch two teams go to work and go against each other, that's a lot of fun. It's uh, uh, it's, a, it's kind of a shame that it uh, worked out that way, that it's this week, which is usually a week where the people on the hillside are sponsors of the team. It's like a it's business junket type of week. All right, yeah. In terms of people on the hillside rather than general public. Fortunately, the window has come and gone for fans to check out camp, but we will... Certainly keep you posted on what happens at those joint practices on denversports.com and here on Denver Sports Station 104.3 The Fan. Coming up next, though, Mace, we've got all kinds of news. We've got uniform news. We've got kicker rumors. And we've got the Rams' best player not coming to town. It's Denver Sports Tonight on Denver Sports Station 104.3 The Fan. A lot of news going on in the Broncos world today. He's Andrew Mason. I'm Will Peterson. Uh, we've got the 2023 uniform schedule with an unexpected twist. We've got Aaron Donald not coming to Denver. We'll fill you in on why. We've got Peter King linking the Broncos to a Saints kicker, even though Brett Maher had a better night. A lot going on. Like I said, Mace, where do you want to start out of those three? Radio, got to turn the got, mic got on. Got to turn your mic on and do radio. Let's start with the kicker. Let's start with the kicker. Let's start with the kicker. So, Brett Maher had a better night, correct, Mace? Yes, he did. He was perfect. But, in another city, New Orleans, there is a kicker battle. Mm-hmm. And we know Sean Payton loves his ex-Saints. The cat he brought in last week on special teams is the eighth player he coached with the Saints to come to the Broncos. Washington, correct? Do I have that right? Dwayne Washington. Dwayne Washington. But Peter King, one of the most uh, respected insiders in the game, wrote, Today, Mickey Loomis may be able to trade the loser of Will Lutz slash Blake Group for a six-round pick just before roster cutdown. Those are the two kickers in New Orleans. I would not be surprised to see Sean Payton show interest in Lutz in Denver. Mm -hmm. Will Lutz, future kicker of the Denver Broncos, on the radar via Peter King. Maybe. And you know what? Trust is a big thing for a head coach and a kicker because most head coaches do not want to have to think about the kicker. Sean Payton went through 10 kickers in his first 10 seasons on the job. Now, some of them were injury replacements um, and, had, and were short-timers in New Orleans. But we'll, we'll let's change that. Mm. And aside from the year when he was injured, 2021, which, by the way, was the year that Brett Maher kicked the second half of the season. Yeah, kind of ironic, yep. For the Saints, which is part of the reason why Maher is here right now. Um, aside from that, the the last uh, the last the the last five, six years for Sean Payton, Lutz was his guy and stabilized a position that had not been stable. Did Maher do enough, do you think, to save his job on Saturday night? I mean, he had a perfect night. I had a perfect night, but I don't know that it's going to be enough if Lutz is available. Right. And sixth rounder for Lutz? Too steep? Mm, I think you'd like to get that down to a seventh rounder. Yeah. Um, Ideally. Or if they cut him, can't you just claim him on waivers? Uh, No, because he's a vested veteran. Okay. So explain that to me. Okay. Waivers applies to players who are in their 
for the, have not reached four accrued seasons. So what would happen if Lutz got cut then? Anyone could sign him. Gotcha. So Whereas you'd rather the, trade for him and not take that chance that right. he picks a different team. Whereas with the waiver claim system, the Broncos have a high priority. They're number five of 32 teams. Okay. So the only way, if, if a player were subject to waivers, again, not a vested veteran, the only and the Broncos claim that player, the only way the Broncos wouldn't get him is if one of the four teams ahead of them, which were the, the four teams that would have been ahead of them in the draft if they picked number five overall, if one of those four teams had a, had made a claim as well. All right. Well, that's the kicker update is Peter King saying keep your eye on Will Lutz. Uh, if he loses the kicking battle in New Orleans, maybe the Saints just decide, hey, he's better than the other kid and we want Will Lutz to still be our kicker. We'll have to keep an eye on that. Let's talk about this uniform schedule that came out today too, Mace. I know you're a big uniform guy. You jumped mm-hmm. right into this. People can read all about it at denversports.com. But uh, they are doing something they haven't done since 2003. Do I yeah. have that right? White jerseys for a home game. They are wearing white jerseys for a home game. That will be week two against the Commanders. Mm-hmm. You like it? You love it? Well, here's, you it? here's why they're doing it. They're commemorating the Super Bowl 33 winning team that beat the Atlanta Falcons 34-19. And the Broncos wore their white on whites for that game. Okay. When the Broncos honored the team that won Super Bowl 32 back in the 2015 season, they wore the same uniform as they wore in Super Bowl 32, which was blue jerseys, white pants. So that is what's guiding the decision to go with white over white. It's pretty cool. I mean, now the Broncos have basically have four uniforms. They have the orange over white. They have the blue, the, the blue jerseys, white on white. And then they have the orange jerseys, orange pants with the white helmets. And if you go to every home game, you'll see every uniform. That is pretty cool. That is actually, I, I, like, I like doing that. But it is going to be strange for you because you've sat in that press box hundreds of times. It's going to be strange for you to look down, see them in all white, and your brain register, oh, I'm still in Denver. I'm not on the road. Oh, yeah. And the last time they did it, it wasn't by choice. You know the story behind that, right? I don't. Fill me in. Okay. So in 2003, they play the Chargers in week two. And they pack, the Broncos packed the white jerseys to go out to San Diego thinking the Chargers are going to wear their navy blue jerseys. That was their primary jersey at the time. Uh, they didn't realize that the Chargers had chosen to wear white for that early season game, which makes sense. It's an early season game, bright sun, Southern California. Make your opponent wear the dark color. So the Broncos, having brought their white jerseys, the Chargers say, okay, I guess we'll have to wear our blues. And the NFL mandated that when the Chargers come back to Denver for the return matchup, the Chargers get to choose the jersey. Ah. And so the Chargers said, well, fine, we're going to wear navy blue, and we're going to make you guys wear white at home. Okay. So the Broncos— So that one was not by choice. That was not by choice. The last time the Broncos wore white by choice at home was in 1983. They wore white for their first three home games that year. Wow. Okay, so this is going to be a very rare sighting week two. Broncos Mm -hmm. wearing white at home. Uh, We talked about this a little bit last week, but I do want to pass along. You mentioned the orange color rush uniforms with the white snow-capped helmets. They're wearing those twice, Mace. Christmas Eve against the Patriots makes sense. Feels holiday. Feels festive. You knew that was going to be one of the games. But then they're wearing them against the Jets. Trying to make a spicy game even spicier. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like that decision. I think that was done uh, consciously. Let's put it that way. I think so as well. And they're going to wear their blue jerseys on Sunday night football against the Vikings. Okay. That'll be the only time they wear blue. Uh, yeah, they, they like to wear the blue at night. 
it does kind of pop at night. It looks good. Yeah. yeah, it looks good. All right, those are your uh, hot uniform updates. And then this. By the way, speaking of uniforms, did you notice the different thing the Broncos did this weekend? No, fill me in. All white socks. Yes, I actually did see you talking about that on Twitter. Mm-hmm. You said that was the first time, correct? First time I've seen it from them. I thought they looked pretty sharp. I think Damani Leach and his team have really, uh, you know, they're trying to get a little more creative on the uniforms, mm-hmm. I think. I mean, and I think this is all a, a, a precursor for, for new uniforms, man. Yes, and I do think also, they, they obviously, new uniforms being studied, it's on the radar, blah, blah, blah. I do think that one tenet of new uniforms, if and when they come, will be the ability to be more flexible with the combinations. Ooh, I see what you're saying. Like, because we saw last year when they did the white jerseys with the blue pants and the, the side swooshes didn't match, they just look ridiculous. Oh, it looked awful. It I looked mean, awful. Although I say if they're going to do that, then you know what they should do for, like, full chaos this year? What? Orange jerseys, blue pants. No, please, no. Please, no. Again, mismatch with the the orange jerseys having the blue stripe and the blue pants having the orange stripe. No, I can't do it. I can't do it. They've already crossed the Rubicon. Uh, They kind of have. Oh, God, please, no. They kind of have. I did want to get this into that Aaron Donald not traveling to Denver for the preseason finale or the practices this week. He's going to stay back in L.A. to be with his wife, who is due any day now. Sean McVay announced that news. Obviously good for Aaron Donald. That is the correct decision. But, man, Mace, the Broncos O-line that has not looked very good kind of dodges one here, not having to go against Aaron Donald uh, twice in practice and then maybe in a game. They dodge one, but if you're trying to test them out, don't you want to see him go up against one of the best? I don't think Ben Powers is handling Aaron Donald. If he, if he can't handle second stringers from Arizona and San Fran, he's not handling three-time defensive player of the year. Only one way to get better. you gotta, you got to go against quality. I guarantee you, if you got a couple lattes, and I'm going to keep using that line, in uh, Lloyd Cushenberry and Ben Powers and Quinn Myers. Is that the new thing this year is a couple of lattes in them? Yes, for people who don't get it, Sean yeah. Payton spouted off to USA Today and blamed it in part on his couple of lattes he had before the interview. Um, and it was in the morning. I mean, I think it was legitimately lattes. I don't think it's a metaphor for something else. I, I think he had too much coffee, got a little too excited. But I think if you got a few lattes and those three guys, they would be totally fine with Aaron Donald not being here. For oh, I'm sure they. I'm sure they would. I'm just. I'm saying is, I'd like to see the challenge. I'd like to see what would happen. Yeah, I mean, believe me. It, it, I'm not saying as a fan, this is like a good thing for the Broncos. I yeah. think it'd be better. If They're Donald, relieved. Are they relieved? Yes, probably. I think it'd be yes. better if Donald were here. Yeah. Uh, with the Rams, that's a team, Mace. That uh, it, it seems like expectations are all over the map. Mm-hmm. I've seen folks say, "Hey, they could get back to their Super Bowl form." And I've seen folks who think they're going to win five games again. It, it just feels like a really interesting team that we get to see at the Centura Health Training Center this week. Well, it's a fragile team, and it's not a very deep team. Um, it's how long is Matthew Stafford going to hold up? And Aaron Donald's, you know, not young either. This is year 10 for him. How long is he going to hold up? I think if they get incredibly lucky injury wise i think that they can be in the mix but that's that's kind of hard to envision yeah after last year i mean last year everything that could go wrong d- did go wrong for them but it's a team that's 18 yeah. months from w- winning the super bowl it removed is. so they I, I'm just not ready to bury the Rams yet like some people are. Well, some people think they're a 5-12 and 12 team, and I say there's too much talent still uh, on that team to, to just write them off as a 5-12 and 12 If they're team. healthy, they can hang with anybody. 
Correct. But the question is, are they going to be healthy? Particularly, is Matthew Stafford going to be healthy? And uh, who have they got in reserve? They've got Stetson Bennett and uh, Brett Rippon. Oh, our old buddy Brett Rippon. All right, yeah, so the return of Rippon. Yes. To Broncos headquarters. We will get to see a lot of Brett Rippon. We'll probably get to see a lot of him in the game this weekend. Coming up on the other side, though, we've dissected the offense. I want to get into the defense, including one guy who may keep playing his way onto this roster. Denver Sports Station 1043, the band presents Denver Sports Tonight. All right, there is one defender on the Broncos roster who not many people had heard of 10 days ago, but he is now playing himself into a roster spot, and that is Elijah Garcia. Has the two sacks last week, has the interception this week. Mace, uh, Elijah Garcia wasn't on a lot of people's bingo cards at the start of camp, but he may have found himself a job the way he's played the last two weeks, huh? Yeah, both him and Matt Henningsen have stacked two good back-to-back games together, and of course, they came together on that interception. Henningsen deflected it, and then Garcia picked it off. I feel much better about the depth on the defensive line than I did at the start of training camp now. With adding guys like Henningsen and, and Garcia. And are you talking like just interior, or are you talking about edge guys too? Well, I'm talking about the interior because okay. the edge guys are outside linebackers. Um, so, yeah, the, the D-line, that was an area of concern, but... Garcia's got some real high-level traits and potential, like like incredible length. Um, and Henningsen is just that guy who just he plugs and plugs and plugs, and he finds a way to make a play. And this is now two weeks in a row. Like he had a sack last week, he had pressure this week, and he and he deflected the pass that forced the pick. This is two weeks in a row that you just see him making it have do, may, having a difference making play out there. And yeah. that's how that is how you make a roster. I think they will both make. He the did team. it, and Henningsen did it last summer too. Uh, made plays in the games, and that allowed him to stick. And he actually nudged ahead of any Awazirike, and that's why he was getting a jersey. And then Awazirike didn't for much of the season. And now, of course, Awazirike serving out that gambling suspension. He's got bigger issues because, he's, you know, being you know part of a criminal pro back in Iowa. Yeah, regarding. Yeah, gambling. no, this isn't just a. Yeah. You know, hey, you got to sit out of here. This could be legal stuff that he has to deal with as well. Uh, who else on defense? I thought Drew Sanders flew around. Mm-hmm. I thought Jonathan Cooper had a nice night. He had a sack. Uh, Zach Allen had a sack. Randy Gregory had a later sack. Mm-hmm. Uh, other big takeaways, including I want your your thoughts on, uh, you know, Gregory and Clark being in there so late. Well, it was interesting because the way they used them, you saw mostly Gregory and Cooper working together and then Nick Benito and Frank Clark working together. And they were basically going back and forth, splitting the reps. Okay. And the thing about that is effectively then each of them worked roughly a quarter and a half's worth of snaps, maybe a little bit more. So I can kind of see what the methodology was by saying, all right, we have the first teamers, we have the second teamers, but these second team or the second unit is going to come in pretty early because uh, maybe maybe what they're thinking about is having a very liberal rotation at edge to where, okay, you don't have that alpha in the way you had Von Miller for so many years. Sure. But can you make up for that by having two sets of fresher legs just coming at you and uh, relieving each other over the course of a game. 
So you think that is why ultimately Randy Gregory was playing in the fourth quarter and Frank Clark was playing in the fourth quarter was just, hey, this is how we're going to rotate it during the regular season, so let's simulate that here in what is most likely the last preseason game for all those guys. I think so because here's the thing. like you know, We could say one of those pairings was the ones, one of those pairings was the twos, and if they were splitting reps when the ones were out there, uh, stands to reason they'd split they'd split reps when the twos were out there so everybody got their work in. Were you at Frank Clark's locker when uh, he had his feelings hurt? I was not. Said something, and I'm paraphrasing, but something along the lines of, you're going to have to ask the coaches about that. Sounds like Frank Clark, Super Bowl champion, I believe third all-time postseason sack leader. Mm-hmm. Not a real happy camper that he's playing in the fourth quarter of a preseason game. Everybody's got their way of doing things. Yeah, it just bears watching because that was... That was interesting that he had to go all grumpy bear about it after the game, right? It is, but it's probably been a while since he played that late in a preseason game. I know, but he didn't understand, hey, I'm not in Kansas City anymore. New situation, new coach. I just got to roll with the flow here. And instead he pulled the do you know who I am card and sounded ticked off. I wonder how that went over. Yeah, I'm sure Sean maybe had a little chatting with him about it. Um, I mean, again, I don't want to overblow it. It's not like Clark you know, went on some profanity lace tirade about it. It just you could tell from some of the quotes emerging that he wasn't thrilled about it. Yeah, he wasn't. It happens. Is he gonna make the team? Do we read anything into that? Uh at that contract's guaranteed, is it not? I do not know. Yeah. I think he's on the team. I do too. It's just we always know there are some red flags fourth quarter of preseason games when you see guys out there that maybe they're in a little more of a battle than we realized. Well Gregory was about to be out there at the start of the fourth quarter, but then uh Peyton called him back, gave him a fist bump. like, okay, you're good. That was basically the end of the rotation. Uh, what grade do you give the Broncos all, all around for that for that performance out there in Santa Clara? B. That's kind of where I'm at, too. Yeah. There was, I thought there was much more positive than negative, and I'm truly not worried about the score in the final moments. You had a number three overall pick going up against a lot of guys who aren't going to be on the team when, it's, when the season starts. Frankly, that end game result was to be expected. Yeah, and to have the lead until literally the final play yeah. in each of the first two games and then lose, you can understand why uh, people are a little little upset afterwards. All right, that was a fun show. For KJ, for Mace, I'm Will. It's DST on the fan. Thought I had it mapped out, but I guess I didn't. This f***ing black crowd still follows me around, but it's time to exercise. These demons, these more are doing jumping tanks now.